Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to LJN Radio. I'm Tim Yuma, and on this edition of Technically Speaking, we're examining how computers can start to interpret language. Now, not just keywords, but actual concepts, ideas, and even emotions. We're going to do that today with Catherine Havasi. She is the CEO of Luminoso, which was born out of MIT, as in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And Catherine's going to talk to us about what Luminoso does to help both consumers and help companies when it comes to language and interpreting it. Catherine, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, first off, I wanted to ask how you would describe to people just what your organization, Luminoso, is all about, the focus, the mission. How would you describe it for our listeners? So Luminoso is really here to help companies understand what their customers are saying. But on a higher level than that, what Luminoso is here for is to really help computers and people understand each other, to understand the language that we're using. So we're really here to help computers understand people and the world better. But from a business side, what we're doing is we're helping companies understand their customers better. Hmm. <laughs> that is always important. Now, we always like to hear the story as to how something started, whether it was someone's career or it was a business or a company. What was the inspiration behind creating Luminoso? Was there something that really sparked it or spurred it on? So Luminoso comes from actually the MIT Media Lab, which is this wonderfully interesting organization at MIT where a bunch of researchers work together with sponsoring companies that come in to the lab, you know, with real problems and real interests. Mm -hmm. And so we get to work on problems that face the world, either through the sponsors or just through our interests in general, that are a lot more applied than what normal academia works with. And I think that that's sort of important. So initially what we were working on, it was back in the 90s when we actually started the project that would eventually become Luminoso. And in the 90s, uh, if people remember, search was very different. There were a whole plethora of search engines that people used all the time. Right. And when <laughs> people would type queries like, my cat is sick and things like that <laughs> into search engines and search engines wouldn't know what to do with them. Right. And to me, it's a little bit like the way people started interacting with Siri and with other kinds of intelligent agents. Actually, it looks a lot the same. <laughs> back then, we kind of postulated that Well, what if we could solve this problem? Because if we had computers actually understand sort of the guts of what people are asking, what what are they really looking for? What's their motivation? That was obviously wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, what we really need to do is be looking at the graph of who links to whom. But at the time, we started a project where we wanted to do what we called harness the power of bored people on the Internet. And so a lot of people might actually remember this because quite a few people have done this. So if you played Taboo online or you worked with something called Open Mind Common Sense and taught it about the world anytime in the last 16 years, what happened with all that information? And so we had people play different crowdsourced games all over the world. People, uh, you know, would type in information like people want to be respected. And there would be this nice little box. At the time, I was really excited about this upstart search engine that was out of Stanford called Google. And they had this very simplistic web design. Um, (laughs) I've heard of it. I've heard of Google. So it looks kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, it was was back when it was had a Stanford domain name. And they had this really simplistic web design. And and I was totally guilty of this. But like we made it, we were making all those web pages at the time that had like these ridiculous backgrounds and blink tags. And it was terrible. Um, (laughs) And everything was bright colors. And so we had this very simple thing with our logo and a box that looked suspiciously like a search, as a particular search engine box instead of, you know, I'm feeling lucky there was a button that said teach the computer. And so people <laughs> would put in all kinds of different things. <laughs> it's true. Like uh, cats or pets, like, you know, um, people like cookies, coffee comes in mugs, all that kind of stuff. And so we took about 16 years to collect all this information. 
And we became something called Common ConceptNet or Open Mind Common Sense. Uh, it's the largest repository of facts about the world that is in a computer-readable format. So it's a big draft about things people know. Sure. And that was a project we did at MIT and are still doing for a long time. And we did for a long time. And in about 2006 or so, we were like, well, search wasn't it. Maybe there is something we can use this for. And at the Media Lab, we had been talking with a lot of different companies in CPG and food. And one problem they were having is everybody was being very data-driven in their mm -hmm. market research and their marketing. And if you're eating a chocolate bar, you're going to eat the chocolate bar and you're going to talk about your experience. And it's going to be fantastically different from the next person eating the chocolate bar and talking about their experience. And so they're like, well, how can we make a data-driven company around this kind of thing? Because our experts talk different than the people, you know, that we recruit on the street to eat chocolate and talk about it. And, you know, it's impossible to teach a computer to know ahead of time all the words they're going to use so we can teach the computer what they all mean to be able to categorize it. So that's kind of where this came from. Mm -hmm. We used our, our massive knowledge base to build models of how people think about the world. And then we started using those models to help companies understand what people were saying when they used creative or passionate language. Hmm. And things just went from there. It was really interesting. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And we really, we started as a project at MIT and, you know, we really got sort of enough commercial interest that it was really in our interest to, you know, become a company. And I think we learned very quickly we didn't want to be a consulting company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so then we, we, we built out a product around it. And for us, it's not, it's, it's about both the models of how people think, but it's also about sort of machine learning. And sure. I think machine learning is going through a really interesting time right now. I think it's really exciting that a lot of people are looking into, you know, you, you guys have all probably heard about deep learning, but a lot of people are looking into, you know, different ways of representing things. And, you know, we had started playing with some of that stuff really early, some of the vector-based learning, and it was really promising. And I think we're seeing a lot of really fast progress as people sort of adopt and understand what this kind of machine learning can do. Sure. So in what ways would you be able to fill people in on how organizations have been able to utilize your technologies, your products? Uh, I know I, I'm sure you could talk forever on the subject, but what are maybe some areas that are more common or, or things that people can do that uh, people listening might kind of be curious about? Right. So I think one of the things, so there are two big areas I'm going to focus on, one of which is actually customer experience. Okay. So we're always talking to brands, we're talking about problems we have with cars, with devices, with things like that. And the question is whether or not, you know, anybody's actually listening. I think a lot of people tweet in part simply because they're really hoping that JetBlue is going to hear them and give them some free mileage. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's also a good deal of, of real thoughts of, you know, this morning we were looking at, you know, people saying, I wish there was a Panera Bread in my neighborhood, you know, and, and, right. and nobody's listening to that. Mm -hmm. And I guess one of the things is that, you know, this is an incredibly valuable source of information. And it's not just social media. There's some stuff on social media, but also people are writing companies directly. You've been to probably the website of the company that has your, makes your phone or your computer, and they have this little box that says what's broken. <laughs> and you feel like you're typing and it's going into the ether. That's definitely one of those things. Uh, what we're doing is we're building systems that can read all this information and really understand what's being said, what are the patterns, what really bothers people, and what do people just like to complain about. A couple interesting examples for that is 
actually from automotive. There's a whole lot of things that get classified even in some place like a car company where you have to pretty much see what's going on with many of the information you get. And a lot of things get classified as other. And sure. they were watching this pattern where things would come in and somebody would say, oh, my car smells funky. And somebody else would call and say, oh, my car smells like my dog had been in it, but I don't have a dog. Right. <laughs> People are really creative. There were a bunch of these different descriptions of, of a particular smell, which you're probably got in your head right now. There were also a bunch of people writing in saying, oh, there's interesting. It's not raining, but there's a little bit of condensation on the inside of my car. And so what a system like ours is able to do, what our system is able to do is look at all these things right. and be able to say, this is a cohesive problem. These people with the smell and with the condensation are talking about the same thing. And then, you know, bring it to the attention of the car company who can find that the air conditioning hose is coming a little bit undone in certain this particular model of car. And that's causing condensation to get in the car, which is causing musty smells. Hmm. And be able to say, hey, someone brings in a car with a musty smell, this is what's wrong with it. Right. Uh, and, you know, the same thing for a phone, the same thing for a piece of software. On the flip side of that, we do a lot of work with product development, like I talked about earlier, especially mm -hmm. with the kind of thing that is types of products that really engage like touch or texture or scent or smell or something like that. Okay. For example, uh, we were working with a grooming products company and they were, you know, putting out a men's toiletry product and they had been doing a lot of market research for a long time and they really couldn't prove in any way that the color of the men's toiletry product affected the way the guys bought the product. Hmm. Because if you ask anybody directly, they're going to tell you no. If I asked you, you know, well, how does the color of, you know, let's say hypothetically the shampoo you buy, the bottle affect, you know, how you buy shampoo and you probably don't think it affects it that much. And, you know, even if it did, people would say no, because the, people perceive it as a little bit of a silly thing to, to pay attention to the color of the product. But what they did is they gave, they weren't even looking for this. They were just looking at different, actually, you know, physical ergonomic designs for this part of the product. The prototypes they gave people to use in, in house in their in their homes were different colors. And so they were able to use this to determine mathematically that and and scientifically, if you just click buttons, that the customers talked a lot more passionately about the more brightly colored product. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they were able to determine that like the color of the product drove how people basically how people engaged with the product. And they were able to build a brightly colored product that sold a lot more. And I think that's, that's really interesting because there's just so many little things out there that consumers know and, you know, need to be communicated to brands. Now, you, you did mention something there, the idea of passion. And that was something I noted that over time, technology may be able to pick up things like broader ideas and concepts and even feelings, not just those keywords that we always think about or you start typing into a, a search function and you know it populates for you. Can you explain to people who are listening how any machine or computer could actually pick up on some of those more abstract ideas or thoughts or feelings that you kind of are alluding to there? Yeah, I think one of the things that's, that's really cool is we have to start by thinking a little bit about how we do it, right? You know, when we're talking here, you and me are talking, we have all these different assumptions about the world. There are things we know, you know, I made jokes earlier about, you know, what web pages were like in the 90s and what search engines were like in the 90s. And I'm assuming that, you know, even if people have this shared experience. And so we basically make language creative by assuming and not boring by assuming other people know something like I never have to explain when I I drink a lot of tea. I never have to explain that I probably put it in a mug. I'm assuming everybody else knows that. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that's different about 
in the kind of language processing we do is that we sort of want to approach it more like a person than a machine. Like a lot of machines are looking at their statistical correlation between how often these two words are used sure. or how many times did somebody say happy in this review. But we're really trying to make a model of how consumers of a particular brand or people talking about a particular thing or people watching the World Cup are thinking, right? So we start out knowing, having a model that knows that coffee comes in cups and that, you know, your electronics working make you happy, right? And this was all built over the years through crowdsourcing. And I think building that statistical model is a great framework because we also use that information to learn new words and to understand word meanings. So if you see something you don't know, you make a guess from context, from analogies, from things like that, what someone's talking about. So if someone uses a really creative way of talking about a creative analogy about talking about how something tastes, you know, we can figure it out. So we're trying to develop machine learning that, you know, we're developing machine learning that mimics the same process. Well, it definitely is something that's fascinating. And I I can imagine and I can already tell how a lot of companies would love to see that. And even consumers, as you mentioned a little bit there. Now, one thing that always comes up when we talk about technology is that as technology improves over time, you start to get this worry from people that it means that there are going to be fewer jobs because machines and computers can do all this stuff. Now they can read thoughts and, and ideas and feelings. For people who have that thought process when it comes to really any sort of technology, what what do you say to them? What would your response be to them, especially when it comes to Luminoso? I think in general, one of the things that I would have would be, I think in the greater world, we're a lot less far along than people tend to think. And that's true of, of especially robotics and of anything that physically interacts with the world. Mm-hmm. You could just use YouTube to find a lot of videos of robots falling over when they try to open a door <laughs> to realize that we're not as far along as you think. But the thing is, the, the answer to that is always, well, the thing that's going to happen next, we're going to conquer that, and then we're going to be doing something else wrong. But there's a lot of steps to the layer cake. Mm-hmm. With Luminoso, I think we tend to play in two big areas one of which is in customer experience and sort of marketing and market research. And we're really nowhere near being able to actually take the person out of the loop. What we're doing is empowering people to do their job better. Or you don't have to read all the comments. You don't have to read social media. You don't have to, you know, do that kind of stuff. Because in all of these, how you react to it is, is always something that has to be determined by a person. In the very least, to have a computer understand how your business works enough for you to make strategic decisions you know, that requires a lot more than just natural language processing and things like that. Sure. And marketing requires, you know, creativity and being able to understand and have that intuition and that spark. And, you know, if you can inform it, if you can make people able to do their job better and faster, that's great. But there's always got to be a person in the loop. You know, these things, marketing is an art. You can't really take the person out of the marketing or you won't be able to anytime soon. So I think it really just enables people to do more of the part of the job that they love. On the flip side of that, we do do some things that are wholly automated. Like for people who saw what we did, we were the back end of the second screen app for the World Cup this past summer through Sony. We took in all the social media and sorted it into conversations in real time. That's not something where a person would be doing that if we weren't doing that because it's just too fast, right? Sure. You need to be making decisions so quickly that, that no, one can, no one can actually do that. I think we tend to fall into either one of those two buckets where there's also a component that's an art or where, you know, it's information just needs to be processed so fast that a person, we're not replacing a person because we're just augmenting what's possible. 
Catherine, uh, again, some very fascinating stuff, and uh, we appreciate you giving us some of the insight into Luminoso as well as, in general, the technology behind all that. And thank you very much for coming on sharing with us. All right. Thank you very much. That will do it for us here on Technically Speaking. I'd like to thank Catherine Havasi once again for joining us on the show. Catherine is the CEO of Luminoso, and she brought us some very fascinating insight into their technology here today. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this episode or any of our shows, send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at the LJN, and you can find all of our shows on iTunes. Search LJN Radio in the iTunes store. Thank you once again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.